Podcast. Podcast where four psychotherapists, three of us Canadian, one of us American, serve you cutting edge mental health knowledge. I am Dr. Ryan Howes, a clinical psychologist from Pasadena, California. And I'm Dr. Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from the greater Vancouver area. I'm Chris Boyd. Okay, go. I'm Chris Boyd, a psychotherapist from Coquitlam. And I'm Joanna Boyd, and I'm doing my bookkeeping class. Uh, and I'm actually Joanna Boyd, and I'm back. And I'm Yay! also a clinical counselor from Coquitlam. That's and it's great. Good to be here. And thanks Welcome. for representing me there, Brooke. Anytime. Welcome back, Joe. The band's all here. This is great. Feels Hooray. like a reunion, a homecoming of sorts. I feel like we should slay the fatted calf because the prodigal daughter has returned. Oh my, my goodness. There we go. Or just give a hip hooray. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like Ryan's idea. I'm just very happy. I I always like it when the the group is complete. It feels good. Um, Joe, I hope you learned a lot of great QuickBooks stuff. Yes, I learned some things. I, it was totally a new territory for me. I knew nothing about bookkeeping, accounting, so definitely had its ups and downs. I definitely shed some tears, uh, but I did it. I passed, got an A in the class, and um, yeah, hey. got an A. Well done. So, uh, but no, it was good. Did the three and a half hour exam last Thursday. Wow. And, uh, yes, well done. So it feels good. Feels good. That's awesome. I'm going to send you my taxes this coming year. I hope that's okay. I don't, don't do it. <laughs> I no. sent mine too. I've got a shoebox full of receipts and a couple oh. napkins with some IOUs on it. Okay. Send them over. Send it over. Yep. We'll see what happens. So you're going to make a big pivot now. You're a bookkeeper now. No more, no more therapy. Uh, no, I wondered if I would really kind of, if this would kind of spark or ignite a, an interest, but this is very just entry level stuff. So I don't know. I don't know if bookkeeping's for me, but we're going to see, I think the more I learn about it and practice it, I think it'll, it'll be good. Use a different part of my brain. So, but yeah, it feels good to have done something new and, um, and it also feels good to be done for now. So yeah. Yeah. Way to uh, step out of your comfort zone too. Like if it's something that's never really intrigued you, not your natural inclination. Good for you. Oh yeah. Thank you. Yes. It was all, all very new. So I think it'll, I'm looking forward to kind of putting it actually into practice with regards to the business and see how that goes actually kind of practice it. So it'll be good. Fingers crossed. Let's see, Joe. Let's recap a little bit. Since you've been gone, we talked about, gosh, I can't remember exactly when you left, but we talked about taking risks. We talked about retirement with your dad. Oh, great. Yes. I guess you you listened to that one, right? I sure did. <laughs> we talked about 
this is your brain on food, which is our last book club selection, which was awesome. Uh, we talked with, we had a guest, Sean came on and talked to us about adversity and obstacles, which was amazing. We've had some good times, but that's great. But we're still very glad to have you back. No, nope, sounds like a good mix there. Yeah, I think it has been a good mix. So I'll try and make sure tonight's topic is a super doozy to welcome you back. Oh, man. Oh, All right. It's a, it's a brook topic. Look out. Buckle up, everybody. It's a brook it's a, topic. It's a top three for sure. Yeah. I don't absolutely. think so. Not on this one. <laughs> yeah, you always say that. I know. Brooke always hits us with a doozy. So we'll see how this goes. But uh, great to have everyone back. Let's hit the ground running here. Brooke, you ready to go? Okay, I'm just going to type it out right now. So keep bantering for another, you know, 30 seconds or so. Okay. Banter, banter, banter. Uh, banter. Chris, yep. anything going on with the ugly Christmas sweaters this year? Since we're in November um, here. You guys got some plans? Yeah, so we relaunched. Uh, well, I guess our website was always there but we were updated a few things just trying to drive more online sales and we actually put two resources on the website that are free so design your own ugly christmas sweater um coloring page nice. and then some reflection questions that kind of capture the main aspects of the book so in the book you are encouraged to be to give um, uh, be kind and connect so just some reflection questions on how you can best do that over the holiday season that's great. Those are free. You can download them if you're a teacher out there. Um, you want to, you know, plug, do a little plug them, Chris. What's the name of the book and what's the website? Uh, it's uglychristmassweaterbook.com and it's called The Ugly Christmas Sweater Rebellion. That's the book. Right on. Love the book. I think I it is. I just sent the question. All right. Uh, I have the book right here. Ugly Christmas Sweater Rebellion. Anyone watching on YouTube can see the book in action. Love it. Okay. We are ready now for the ambush. I don't know what the topic is. Brooke does. We are all going to experience this together. Here we go. What advice would you give to new therapists? What do you wish you had known when you were just starting your career? Yeah. Okay. What advice would you give to new therapists? Yeah. All right. So we've got some. Uh, just kind of general discussion stuff. I'm sure we can expand this as we see fit. Like if there's anything that had been surprising in your career that you didn't quite anticipate when you were going through schooling or training. Might be a little different. Ryan, you don't have anyone in your family that does this as a career, right? Just me. You mean anyone yeah. else? Yeah, like there's uh I, I mean, like your so, siblings aren't no, no, my siblings aren't, aren't parents therapists. weren't. No, no. So no and same with me, but uh Chris and Joanna, you guys might have known maybe a bit more than what we did and what Ryan and I do. Oh, that's true. when we start out, right? So but yeah, just anything that maybe that you thought was surprising or things you wish you knew or advice that you would send along. Mm -hmm. 
That's a great oh, topic. It is a great topic. Mm-hmm. It is a great topic. I, 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 yes, I didn't have anything really. I mean, I had things passed down through supervisors and things like that. And, and I did have friends as a family growing up, but uh, I've also spent a lot, a lot of time as a supervisor. So I've gotten to share some of these tidbits with like trainees and students and all that sort of thing. So, so I'll just take over for the next three hours, if that's okay. <laughs> True thing. <laughs> just kidding. Not going to do that. Let's, uh, yeah, open it up, you guys. So just curious. Oh, as Ryan is no longer there, but how long have each of us been practicing? Just to give an idea for the listeners of. That's a good. Yeah. So when do you think practicing would have started? Do you think that means like your practicum in your master's or. Mm, I guess I think of finishing, finishing master's and starting afterwards, but this is true or it would have started. Yeah. So I guess I take, when did you start kind of outside of school practicing okay so uh, mine like I was done so I started practicing in 2009 outside of school after you graduated I mean yeah yeah I finished my math give me an idea of how long people have been how long we've been in this field Ryan just to yeah I thought it was 2010 but maybe I was 2011 I thought it was 2010 though it was around the Olympics time. Yeah, so I finished mine in like, I don't know, somewhere in 2008, but then the registration with BCACC, oh, okay. they only do it like once or twice a year. So it was spring registration. So it was 2009. Cause oh, I, I didn't, yeah, I wasn't able to get the 2008 one. So maybe it was 2011 then when it was all said and done. Mm. Okay, so Chris, about 10 years? QuickBooks mm-hmm. is already paying off, Joe. I'm just saying, Brooke, you're about 12, 13. I've been practicing for about eight years, eight and change. And Mr. Ryan, how about you? Two or three. Sorry. Just just since we started the podcast. That's when I first started seeing clients. <laughs> a year and a half ago. That's about all of that. He wow. is actually an imposter. He's not imposter syndrome. He's actually an imposter. Actually an imposter. <laughs> It's always an interesting question, how long have you been practicing? Because when I was in graduate school, we saw clients while we were in school too, you know? Um, Same with us. And, so yeah, yeah. Kinda, I just made it after grad school. Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, I graduated in 99. So that would be 22, 22 quick years right there. there um, so, yeah, that's that's been a while, I suppose. Things maybe maybe were different in the '90s when I graduated. So, uh, but yeah, that's a good good starting point. How long have we been doing this? So I guess between us, that makes like almost 50 years of uh, therapy, huh? That would be. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. So, talking to a new therapist. Like, what would you have wanted to know? Was that the question, Brooke? Or just any advice? Kind of just, what advice would you give them? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there anything that you wish you had known? If there was, or were there any surprises along the way? Sure. Um, yeah. I think um, 
reason I like kind of thought about the how long we've been working for is because gosh it's weird for me that it's been as long as it has been um I know when I started out I was like oh I just can't wait to get you know a year under my belt I can't wait to you know get that five years now all of a sudden I'm you know itching towards 10 and that just blows my mind but there's that feeling and I guess to normalize that feeling for new therapists of feeling a little bit (laughs) I don't know. Um, it's okay. You're not going to know everything. And that feeling might not ever really come. I think with the field we're in, uh, there's so much to know and there's so many different issues and populations and things going on. And just that, am I in over my head or that a bit of that imposter syndrome, a bit for me that I've tackled over the years. Um, and it's just to know that you're okay. Like this is a new thing. I think you're, you're going to continue growing and it's okay to feel a little bit like, Whoa, this is a a big field and there's a lot going on just to really trust that you are capable with where you're at. Um, And so I remember being in a meeting and with some psychologists in our practice who had been practicing for decades and it's a meeting where even they're consulting and it was just so nice to be like, look, they're needing to to still ask for support and it's okay like just to really normalize that I guess I don't really know what exactly I'm normalizing but just um I don't know yeah yeah all good points yeah we have an interesting field that we work in and uh, I'm sure our field is similar to a lot of other fields out there it's kind of different from what Joanna just did in terms of bookkeeping because in bookkeeping you can learn the approaches and the techniques mm-hmm. and and I think Brooke once said that the numbers don't lie right you can probably become more efficient at that whereas in psychology there's such a high level subjectivity to it again like many other professions out there so yeah definitely that imposter syndrome at first saying you know questioning your abilities and whatnot but uh, I think psychology has also come a long way as well in terms of what we've been focusing on so there's definitely some knowledge that uh, would have been nice to have back when I was starting. Uh, for instance, it's not always just about the strategy that you use, really trying to focus on that relationship and be patient with the process. So I think early on when I was doing counseling, I was listening to the the, the issues and I'm like, okay, I think I have an idea. I was able to conceptualize what was going on there. And I wanted to jump into problem solving mode and, and uh, yeah, I would jump into that too quickly though, where the client didn't really feel heard, right? and feel validated. Um, so trying to be a little more patient with the process a bit and really focus on that rapport first, I think is knowledge that would have been nice to have, or at least emphasize more as early years of practice. So that's one thing. Yeah, I think um, part of what prompted this a little bit, this idea for this question or discussion, there's a gal that we know who's going through grad school right now and she had reached out because another a school that she doesn't go to a different grad school program is getting their students to go through all of the trainings not all of well many trainings so they've done like all the levels of Gottman they've done EMDR they've done Whoa. so the program Joe is Adler the really? Adler school is getting the master's students to go through about like offsite CBT training. Um, yeah, all the Gottman's, the EMDR training, and I forget what else, but one or two other things. 
so this gal is going to Simon Fraser University and uh, she was like asking me what trainings I thought she should be doing in, as she's going through her master's and, and with Adler, the students have to pay for that outside of their tuition, I'm pretty oh, okay. sure. So, um, but trying to give her that advice of like, you know what, you, you need to, the trainings are always going to be there. There's always so many things to learn or develop or grow with but you kind of have to be out there in the field and figure out what you like to work with and what you're good at working at and what, you know, like being in the role so that you can find what you enjoy. And then when you do that, you're gonna naturally find trainings that are gonna fit with your perspective and your view and the style of work that you do. So not to get too bombarded in that. I think, yeah, similar to what Chris is saying, I think when we're going through training, we think that it's going to be like the sequential method of you do A, B, C, D, but it's actually much more fluid. Um, and there's, yeah, there's just so many pieces to go along with it. So if you get stuck being like, I did this specific training, so now I'm done with this because this is what I do, that's not going to lead to really good therapy, right? I would agree. I have, I have very strong feelings about that. I believe that uh, certainly it's good to be, to have some training in, in different things, have some knowledge about different things. I guess I'll go into that a little bit later, but um, honestly, I, I believe the most important part of training is to work on the, the, the therapist as a person. Mm -hmm. um, you can learn the tools anytime. Those will be around for the rest of your career. Um, it almost, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit to hear a, a graduate program just saying, go take all these trainings because really what that's, I, I don't, I don't know the, 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 the real meaning behind that for the, for the program, but it feels like it's just, just kind of creating a bunch of technicians, like just apply these steps to different people and you'll be a good therapist. And gosh, I find that that's uh, very uh, reductionistic, you know, mm -hmm. just a, cook, a, a cookie cutter approach to doing this work where you could just kind of train, a, a you know, a, a seal in, <laughs> in a, in a show, in a, a water show to, uh, to do that. And that just doesn't seem like that's really taking into account the relationship and the, mm -hmm. the, the space between the, the client and the therapist. If, if healing only came from skills, People yeah. wouldn't need therapy because there's so many darn books out there. Yeah, right. There's there. all the workbooks that you want. You can learn all the skills that you want. They're all over YouTube. They're all over the books. They're all over everywhere. But there's there's something beyond that in therapy. And I agree with you, Ryan, that like the therapist is the a major mode of change. Like you, you need to be ready to go. Right, right. I, yes, I believe in that. Well, I got a few other things to share, if that's okay. Yeah, you were taking notes for those yeah. who are listening, not watching. Uh, Ryan was there taking some notes. He taking some notes. Lost in thought or deep in thought, thinking mm -hmm. about some things. So we're on the edge of our seat. Oh, I mean, it's, it's not all that profound, but just some things that I... I as I'm thinking back on supervision and some of the courses I've taught, you know, some of the things that I've, I've tried to share with people. Um, uh, first thing is 
if you're going to be a therapist, invest in a good chair. Oh, <laughs> but and that is subjective. Well, yes. Oh, no, totally. Yeah. It, your good chair is not going to be my good chair. It's got to be a good chair for you. Mm-hmm. And honestly, uh, it might cost a lot of money, but it's worth it because if you're going to spend 10, 20, 30, 40 years sitting down in your profession, you ought to have a chair that is not just comfortable, but supportive, something that's mm-hmm. going to be uh, good for your posture, good for your back. Uh, many therapists have bad backs uh, as a result of just sitting so much. Mm-hmm. So um, it is not an extravagance to plop down some money for a good quality chair. <laughs> so like that's it. on the most practical point. I have this chair here that I'm sitting in right now which is my office chair. This is now my, my COVID home office, but uh, I have no problems with the fact that I'd plopped down a bunch of money for this chair and it is serving me well. I started, I started off with a, with a really fancy looking chair that was not yeah. good for my body. And I knew that after a year or two. So yeah, well, I'll show you my uh, counseling chairs right here. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Yeah. That is a wooden chair that looks hard as concrete. That's the uh, school home office and... chair. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Well, yeah. 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 No, I I agree. By uh, the office that we all share, there's like chairs. A lot of them are like Costco executive chairs. Um, obviously, listeners can't see how tall I am ever, or people on video, but I'm 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 short. I'm like five three. So these chairs, I'm like the size of a child. So the chairs are very, very uncomfortable. So my favorite chair is like a one that used to be at the front desk, but I don't think they liked it very much. So it's actually like an office type chair, like a mesh back. And yeah, but it's a smaller chair and it has lumbar support. (laughs) And it's just perfect. Yeah, it's my perfect little chair. I love it. I'm with you. The chair is important. Uh, as I'm, as I'm thinking about this, I'm really, I'm talking to the oftentimes or these, these thoughts are coming to me are, are for the people who are about to emerge into the profession, right. Who are maybe they've been in, in graduate school for a while. They're about to launch out and kind of figure out what they're going to do next. And some of what I end up telling them is, is a bit of undoing some of what they've learned in some ways, which is sort of the paradox of this work. We have to learn a lot of this work, a lot of the theories and things like that. And then sometimes we have to sort of set those aside at the same time. So one of the things that I, I try to impart to uh, new therapists is that it's not all about you, um, which is a common concern from new therapists. It's like their concern is they, the reason why they're so nervous going into sessions a lot of times early on is, oh my gosh, what am I going to do to uh, mess up in this session? Or what am I, how am I going to uh, cause problems for the client or something like that? Or what do I need to do in order to fix this person. And, and I think an important lesson for new therapists is it's, it's not all about you. You're, you're part of a healing process. Um, something I tell people is, is a lot of times new, new therapists think they have to take a client from A to Z when oftentimes our job is to take them from D to E, you know, that's, we're just a part of a, a longer journey in people's lives. And we're not always going to be, uh, the sole, uh, catalyst for change in their life, right? Um, a lot of times that just means learning to collaborate with the client. Like, so that's a big part of it. It's 
it's not that I'm the person who has all the wisdom and all the knowledge and I'm going to impart that to the client and suddenly they'll get better. Sometimes we need to work on these problems together, you know? So what do you think? You know, gosh, you, you're feeling isolated. What, what can we do about that? You know, and, and brainstorm with the client about what sort of solutions there might be. Um, if you feel all the pressure to, to provide all of the answers, that's, that's setting you up for, for too much pressure, I believe as a, as a therapist. Um, there are other resources people can reach out to, and we gotta we have to know how to use those. Uh, whether that's other uh, other therapeutic resources, um, you know, specialists in certain areas, uh, books, programs, other things that people might be able to tap into. So it's not again all about us. And also that uh, I believe that it's important throughout our our careers to keep consulting with uh, with other clinicians, right? So again, it's. It's not all about you. So if you have something difficult coming up, uh, it's important to keep good connections with colleagues. As actually before we we started here today, I uh, consulted with you guys about something, and and I think it's important for us to keep uh, keep in contact with other clinicians so that we can so that we know that we're not just isolated in this work. Right. That's great. All great so, ones. All great ones. I'm just getting started, Chris. <laughs> He was writing for a long time. I was writing for a long time. Okay. All right. I mean, if you have, if you have anything to add or subtract, go right ahead. No, I think just that, yeah, consulting piece, I think is big. All of that is important. I just think that, um, yeah, if you're working in private practice on your own, make sure you can set up with someone you might know or a grad school friend, or there's a mentor that you can connect with or, and just don't be afraid to ask for support or help if you don't know something or you need just there's organizations online or um, some different counseling groups, whatever you need, but just don't be afraid to ask for help. I don't think you're going to be met with judgment. It's not going to be like, oh, you should know this. It's uh, yeah, let's talk about it. Let, here are some ideas. And gosh, we do that all the time. Like I'm working with this client and do you have ideas of how you'd work with them? Or what do you think is going on? So it's just ongoing. So it's definitely a big part and so important, I think, for all of us. Absolutely. And you guys have a group practice. So you guys probably have regular consultation meetings or business meetings or something, right? Twice a month. Yeah. So someone can bring up something or, or maybe informally bring up something in the lunchroom and just talk, talk through cases, that sort of thing. Yeah. The door's open. I think everyone's open to consulting. And then uh, these meetings are fantastic. Like I think we had nine or 10 people on there yesterday and people present cases and leave with lots of great ideas. So also just encouragement and, and normalization and there's so much more that goes along with that. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially, yeah, when you're a new therapist and you present a case and there's the, the person that has been there for 30, 35 years and they say, oh gosh, that sounds like a tough case. It's really good to hear that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's, it is, it is a tough case. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of curious, Ryan, is uh, self-care on your list? Self-care? Self-care, like... Uh, oh, I think it's so leaving, important. Leaving work at work? I, list? Uh, you know, that was that was covered in episode one of the boot camp. And so <laughs> I, I just kind of left that off uh, this time around. Yeah. But I certainly would say that, that that's all incredibly important. Sure. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I really think so. Like, I... Uh, we, we have a very important job, right? Like we're, people are coming to us in a very vulnerable and fragile state and we need to 
be there for them and, and to be there for them, we need to take care of ourselves. Um, and I think, I know that we all talk about self-care and it's kind of like a buzzword or a buzz term or whatnot, but uh, in some ways, I, I almost feel like it's not emphasized enough that we do need to make sure that we're out there and yeah, doing things that we enjoy and having fun and making sure we're eating well and sleeping well and exercising and managing our own things and going to our own therapy and doing all that. Otherwise, you're walking in the room and you're not going to be sharp. You're not going to be able to be attuned and present and there for that person, right? Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I think, um, and that could be, you know, useful information, of course, for other professions too. And I think those lines are becoming very blurred in these uh, virtual times where work and uh, home have become uh, very much connected. But uh, work is, you know, you want to do everything you can to do the best job you can. But when you go home, that's when you got to do other things. You got to connect with your family or friends or, or again, the self-care just have that balance because I I've seen that a lot with the uh, younger therapists I worked with or um, help supervise is they, yeah, they, they have a hard time disconnecting it, disconnecting work and they, they go home and fixate and maybe ruminate on, on what they have heard. And, and it's, they get burnt out. Yeah. Right? Which goes back to, it's not all about you, right? I mean, sometimes we have to say, I'm, I'm going to give it my all for this 50 minutes or however long. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, uh, you know, if there's something above and beyond, I'm going to consult. And beyond that, I have to learn to kind of let it go and say, I'm, I'm going to trust that the client has has the resources they need, and I've got to, I've got to turn to towards my own life or towards my other clients now, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's that's an important uh, important skill to learn. Mm -hmm. Uh, about, about theory, I will say this, because this, this is where I was kind of bristling a little bit with the, just go to this training, this training, this training. Uh, I would say that, that in therapy, from my experience, that, uh, that theories or, or what we call, uh, theoretical modalities, uh, therapeutic orientations, these are all a good servant, but a poor master. Meaning, uh, I think that we should learn these things, you know, whether that's, Adlerian work or psychodynamic work or CBT or DBT, all these different theories. We should learn some of these things, but we shouldn't be driven by those. Like we shouldn't be just a, again, a, a technician who is applying this to our client. Um, I believe these are things, these are tools that we use in our, in our practice when we need to. But I think that the, the primary part of the therapeutic relationship is the relationship. And, and it's you, Brooke, connecting with your client and you, Joe, and you, Chris, and me, Ryan, just us being in the room, being curious, being interested, uh, and noticing our feelings as they come up and, and using those. Um, another bit I like to say to, to clients or to, to new trainees is that, um, is that your, your body is an instrument and every client mm -hmm. plays you differently, um, meaning you know, if you're sitting in a room with a client and you feel something, uh, you start to feel agitated or you start to feel sad or you start to feel anxious, uh, that's telling you something. That's giving you a piece of data that, uh, that maybe is not on the intake form or it's not something that they're necessarily even saying, but you have this feeling in the room. And that's a, a bit of information that maybe that's how other people in their life feel, or maybe that's something that they're feeling and kind of helping you to feel. I know it feels a little 
squishy new agey stuff. But I do think that, uh, I mean, people who've been doing the work for a while, I'm sure all of you guys have, have experienced that, you know, someone comes in and says, you know, they, there's all the words that they're saying say that they're very happy, but you have this feeling of just heaviness and sadness. You're like, wait a minute, this is something that's not connecting here. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's a bit of, of information for you to take with you and be like, okay, what's, what's that about? Maybe you want to ask them about it. Maybe you want to hold on to it for a while, but I really think it's important to, to be attuned with yourself when you're working with clients. Cause that's just as valid information as the words that are shared sometimes. Absolutely. The therapist intuition, right? Mm -hmm. And that comes with practice and wisdom and experience and, but uh, it's there. It's there. You gotta fine tune it. It's there. Yeah. Kind yeah. of same with uh, when there's quiet moments in therapy, silence can be a good thing, right? It's not always that they're zoning out or not paying attention. So kind of fine tuning or picking up on, on that, I think is a hard skill for people, but you get there. Agreed. Totally agreed. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if, if two people were trained, let's say, let's say Chris and Brooke were both trained in cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, I, I believe that you could, if I were to come into each of you as a client with anxiety, I believe you would be treating that differently. And I would actually hope that that's the case because Brooke is a different person than Chris, you know, that the way that you apply that work and the way that you, um, relate to me with that work is going to look different. And that's not just, okay, that's, that's, I think that's the right way to do it. Right. Um, because again, the relationship I believe is, is of primary importance and if it and if a client feels like a technique is being done to them instead of it's being in the context of the relationship i think that that makes a difference people could tell that difference mm -hmm. yeah i don't know maybe i'm getting too 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 deep in the weeds here but uh but i think that's something that i hope that's a message to a new therapist that actually relieves some anxiety you know instead of feeling like oh there's only one right way to do this one thing uh, that actually, you know, no, the, the, who you are as a person is a very important, uh, ingredient in the therapeutic relationship. And we don't want yeah. you to extinguish that. We want you to bring that into the room and, uh, let that be part of the healing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do, I do think there's a balance there though. You know, I think there's a synergy there in terms of the approach and who you are as a person or, or clinician, because uh, I think if a client senses that there's not a technique that therapist is falling back on or if there's no method to the to, to the approach then that that may work against you right so i think there's a there's a, there's a, there's a balance there i would um, certainly agree I, yeah i'm not saying just just go willy-nilly and, and yeah just do yes. uh do whatever you want in the room i think yeah. it all has to be informed by by something that's that's helping the client and i think if if asked what you're doing um i, I would hope that you'd have an explanation for it yeah. Um, but again, to say, you know, someone sits down and says, I'm depressed and say, okay, turn to uh, Aaron Beck, chapter four, verse three, um, mm -hmm. we're going to do this now. I don't think that just takes the relationship out of the equation, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. No, very good points. Mm -hmm. But I agree with you, Chris. I mean, it's, it, you have to be going somewhere and there has to be a, a, you know, everyone has to have a treatment plan in mind or an idea of what are we doing here and how are we going to get there? And then, you know, also keeping in mind when we're talking about skills and techniques, uh, like 
psychoeducation is a skill or technique. So, you know, for us to say, hey, do you mind me give you some information on that? Um, it's a conversation, but it's also a skill, like you're providing something. Yeah, the delivery or the setup of that skill or strategy or to say, hey, I'd like to try some relaxation exercises with you. I have the script, I'm gonna pull this script out and we're gonna do this together. Yeah, it kind of brings up the point too of I think we talked about this at a earlier bootcamp podcast is the just really wanting that feedback from clients as well. Um, so not avoiding that feedback, but wanting it. So I think everything is I often tell clients everything's for a game besides the way I physically, I physically look right. So if they feel that the approach or the elements of therapy are working for them, that's great. If not, then that's okay too. just you know, let's, let's discuss that. Let's delve into that because we can always make a pivot and in, in, in terms of the approach or maybe we're doing something or saying something that's kind of, they don't agree with. So I, I find that, uh, and a lot of this is based on a lot of research too, by of course, Scott Miller and Barry Duncan, but that, that uh, encourage feedback tools because they say the more feedback you get on an ongoing basis with the client, the less likely they are to ghost you or just drop off, right? Sure. Sure. And some of that feedback, I mean, Scott and Barry talk about like actually like filling out a form and kind of like, how are you feeling today? And like on a scale of one to 100, boom, where are you? Which I think is an effective tool, probably for some clients who, who kind of think that way, who kind of have a QuickBooks mentality, Joe. Um, yeah. uh, and, and for other folks, maybe it's a little less formal and more like, so how are we doing? How, how's this working for you? And kind of pulling out the uh, the conversation of how is this relationship working for you? So that's I, I agree though we need that feedback. Uh, I welcome it every time someone says, "Hey, that didn't quite work for me," or mm, "Didn't seem like you were listening there," or something like that. I, I want to know because I want to help provide the best service I can to these folks, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and sometimes maybe it's not the, the best fit and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. You can make that referral and, you know, don't take it personally. Um, you know, there might be a lot of implicit reasons why that's happening. Um, so yeah, I think for a new therapist, often confidence is can, can be a bit of an issue because you're just trying to get some momentum and try to figure things out. So if you have to get some harsh feedback from a client or if it's not working for a client, you know, I don't want that to, devastate someone you know sure sure a couple other little points i wrote down that's all right one echoing what brooke said getting your own therapy i think is key for a therapist um not just some people say oh it's important for you to get your therapy so so you know what it's like to be in that chair and i think that's important to some degree you know to know what it's like to be the client and to have that experience i think is is valuable Honestly, I think you can get that in a couple of sessions. Um, I think what's what's really more important is to really explore like yourself, to know yourself, know what you're bringing into the room. Um, you know, if I if a client brings in a uh, a difficult relationship with their sister, right, and say maybe I had a difficult relationship with my sister, which I didn't, but if I if I did. Um, it's important for me to know that so that I'm not reacting out of my own pain and my own relationship. Um, and, you know, talking to the client is like, well, you need to tell her this, that, and the other. 
Um, maybe that's me talking to me instead of uh, me actually talking with the client. It's just important for us to be able to separate my junk from the client's mm -hmm. junk and be able to say, okay, this could be a hot button issue for me. So let me keep, keep my, my eye on that while I'm working with my client. Uh, just the more of that self-awareness you have as a therapist, I think is, is the better. Mm -hmm. Now they often say you, you can only take your client as far as you've gone. Mm. Right. So if you haven't really worked through your stuff, you're not, you're probably not going to be able to help others work through theirs. Mm. That's interesting. I, I've heard that said a lot of times, and yet sometimes I feel like my clients go a lot farther in some things than I do. <laughs> you know, I've helped clients work through procrastinating things that, uh, boy, I still procrastinate. <laughs> or yeah. Like how brave clients are. Clients are so brave. Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, in the amount that they're willing to share or the vulnerability they can bring into the room or trying to push themselves outside of their comfort zones or being resourceful into things and tackling stuff that's scary in their life. And my goodness, Absolutely. a lot of bravery, a lot of courage. Yeah, we're the people they've chosen out of everyone, or at least given a try to really be vulnerable with and be intimate with. And it's a privilege to kind of get to know people at their, yeah, best and worst and good, the bad, the ugly. I think it's sometimes I'm sit, I sit there and I'm like, wow, this is my, this person is entrusting, you know, all this in me and I get to hear about their lives and create a space for them to share and try to help them through things. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's, um, so yeah, you just keep in mind precious cargo, I think with all the clients and knowing their bravery and how courageous it is to come into that office. For sure. Certainly. I would agree with that. And I guess, I guess the final thing I would say is um, when that's so much of it, at least the, the lens I look at the, this work through is that it's, so much of this is about relationships. And I, and I mean that in, in a broad sense, like the, the, I've already talked about how the therapeutic relationship is important, but if you're looking to, to build a career and to build a practice, it's all about all of your relationships in a lot of ways, right? Um, if you wanna be kind of an established therapist in your community, then uh, the relationships that you have with your neighbors, the relationships you have with uh, your kids' teachers, the relationships you have with people in all sorts of walks of life is, is, is important um, because they all reflect on your, on your professionalism and on your ability to relate to people. And, and, who know, and, and also, you know, the clients that you have who, who leave even, you know, if they're like, okay, I'm done with therapy, um, treating that, in, a, in an important way and being uh, respectful of them and, and uh, professional with them is really important because that person might have a friend who says, hey, I'm looking for a therapist in five years. And they say, oh, I know this person who was really great and you should give them a call. So it's so much of it's about um, not just being warm and caring in the room. It's, it's about how you're doing your life in a lot of ways, you know, being respectful and kind to people around you. And this is not just all marketing. Just I just think it's a good philosophy in general, right? I don't think you can expect to be warm and caring in the room and then a jerk to everyone else you see and expect to have a, uh, 
<laughs> healthy practice, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys are part of uh, Rotary, right? Sure. And that's those are relationships that you all have and nurture and and I'm sure it's not just about marketing. It's just about it's about being part of your community, right? Yep. Yeah. So. Yep. It really cool. is. Yeah. I think another one I would give, um, just a reminder to new clinicians to stay curious. You're like, I, I don't think I know a therapist who is really goes an extended period of time of not being surprised by something that comes in the room, right? Like it, there's always, you're always confronted by something new or some stuff comes up. And so you need to remain curious about your clients and what they're going through and um, more resources that are out there, new books that come out, new perspectives that people are taking how the, the general global climate, your local community climate, how all of that's changing and what's going on there and what impact that's having on people. And yeah, I, I think this is a job for a curious person. So if you feel like, oh, I've done my Gottman training, I'm done now, that's no. <laughs> no, I, I agree. You're that's not gigantic. done yet. Yeah, read as much as you can. Stay on top of it. Read the Psychotherapy Networker magazine. It's always a been a, a great good one. Good things coming out of that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Listen to the Mental Health Bootcamp podcast. Read the books of the book club. Yeah. <laughs> Go to some so, conferences. Yeah. Meet some people. Yeah. I also had a uh, psychologist, one of our colleagues, Simon, once tell me, reminded me that it's a marathon not a race because sometimes new clinicians want to do as much as they can and work as as many people as they can and and so i think that was some good good feedback when i was first starting off it's true it's true we should do a course on on feedback for new clinicians there's a lot of stuff here there is a lot of stuff. Uh, something else that I didn't write down that I'll throw out there, which is that um, again, going to the person of the of the therapist, I'd say um, if you have if you have your own personal interests, your own things that you think are kind of odd or maybe not all that therapisty, uh, those might be great for therapy. In fact, I, I've known. I mean, here in Southern California, I knew a guy who was really into Dungeons and Dragons and started a Dungeons and Dragons group for for teens. Um, someone who whose hobby was surfing and, and started a a surfer therapy sort of a group context for veterans. Um, so, you know, the idea of what is a therapist, I think, is really expanded, and I think that's okay. I think it's great, in fact, because. You don't just want people to to be coming to to Dr. Freud. Um, you know, you want to meet people where they are. What what sorts of things that you have, maybe that you have a passion about, you're interested in. You may find down the road that there are a lot of people who are interested in that, and that would be a great place to connect and and talk through some of their issues. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, Jared DeFife, he's um, someone I met, we met through you, Ryan, down at the uh, conference there many years ago. Ah, uh, Jared. And, uh, Shout out to that, Jared. Uh, yeah, I think he's got a podcast out there as well. Um, but he had to get advice too. Maybe we're getting a little, little too specific or technical here, but he was saying like, yeah, find that passion, find that population and or what you want to work on and and rock that like become specialized like do as much research as you can and and blog about it and write about it because he said a lot of clinicians they want to be um good at everything and they want to work with all client like all clients and, and all presenting issues because they feel that might be the best way to build a you know a client base but jared was saying is actually but based on the research he read, it was the opposite. The more specialized you are, people will come to you. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So maybe we're getting a little too technical here, but I mean, these, I think this is a that's an important question because a lot of people mm. that is a big debate among graduate students is should I be a generalist or a specialist? You know, should I should I um, really focus on a particular niche or um, or learn to to work with everybody? And what so what's your take on that? Uh, I guess my take is that I think it, at least during the training years, I think it's important to have a broad grasp of, of a lot of psychotherapy, you know, um, in my training, I was able to work with adolescents and the elderly and the chronically mentally ill and just kind of low income folks and people who are so, and I think it's, it's helpful for me in the work that I do, because it's nice to be able to draw from some of those experiences. And I can spot things maybe that uh, if I only worked in a specific niche, I might not have been able to see that. Uh, so I think it's important to maybe start off pretty broad, um, but then as you as you work on through your career, try to develop more of that niche. I mean, if you have an idea, like I want to work with eating disorders and only eating disorders, great. But during your training, please learn as much as you can about everything because mm -hmm. not everything's gonna be eating disorders, right? And there might be some some things that you can borrow from different different fields there. So, so I guess what I'm saying is both, Chris. Yeah, start broad, maybe specialize if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember uh, when Joanna and I finished grad school? I think maybe my dad gave the same advice to Brooke too: is just get out there, and learn. Mm -hmm. So, and I think we all did. We worked in schools and not for profits and government entities and. Eventually, we came back and we're slowly started that private practice as well. But, but I'm a huge advocate for that too. At first, just get out there and learn, work in the trenches a bit. Exactly. Exactly. So I guess I'm saying both as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, even here, I am twenty something years in, and I don't. I still don't have a, a specific niche. I mean, I I wrote a book for men. I, I happen to see a lot of men in, in therapy, but that's it's not really a hyper-specific, that's 50% of the population. That's not a, and I still see just as many females as I do males or nearly as many. So I, I no longer work with kids because I'm just kind of aged out of that for myself, I think. Um, but so I, I still consider myself somewhat of a generalist and that's, that's okay for me. But uh, I'm not disparaging the people who are like, I work with trichotillomania and only trichotillomania. If that's what they want to do, that's great. 
which for the listeners, that is the an anxiety disorder based on the, this kind of need to pull hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You feel a sense of soothing from hair. I've actually worked with people with trichotillomania, but I'm not a specialist. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's, that's okay. So just a, a quick American Canadian difference. Niche, we call it niche. Ah, we, we, we will say both either, either, or, and I think when we're being a little, a little more on the upper crust side, we might say niche. Oh, I feel like we default niche. Yeah. Just thought I'd throw it out there. It's like niche, like itch. Itch. And I started like rhyming in my head, pitch, Mitch. (laughs) Glitch. at least in this part of the country, I think you'll hear it about equal parts down here. Find your niche, people might say, or your niche. It's kind of like tomato, tomato. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody had told me to find my niche, I'd be like, I'm sorry, what? Like, did I lose my niche? Where is, where is my niche? <laughs> nice. Did I need to go buy one? What is this? Yeah, I'd be quite confused. And and I guess to to bring it back to Joe here, um, Joe's learning QuickBooks to help run a group practice. Uh, One of the the common complaints that I hear from nearly every private practice clinician was, why didn't I learn more about how to run a business when I was in graduate school? Oh, yeah. Mm. Because there's so much to that that is just just never hardly ever taught to people yeah. how how do you actually hang out a shingle and get a business running there's a lot, mm-hmm. lot of moving parts to that and especially if you're going to have associates or front desk staff or if you're going to bill in, you're going to bill insurance or something like that down here yeah yes up here as well for some Mm-hmm. Some providers, uh, psychologists can direct bill too. But yeah, there is a lot of behind the scenes work. Tons. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there are workshops and classes and things to help people with that. But oftentimes it's just handed from, from person to person. You know, someone who's been in the practice, been in the field for a while, might just help someone else uh, getting started, figure out how to, how to get things off the ground. Yeah. But it's that's a challenge and it takes takes some time. Don't expect to to know that from day one. Mm-hmm. We do it. Well, did we answer the question? I think we did. Oh, I think we did. I think we did. Well, actually, maybe we're not the ones who should answer that. If anyone has any other questions about how to start off as a therapist in, in private practice or getting started, things you would like to know, please send those in to us. We'd be happy to take a stab at them, right? So I guess that's it for the night, right? I guess so. Uh, don't forget the book that we're reading for the book club. It's probably nothing. It's probably nothing. And we will come back to talk about that. But that's it for tonight, everybody. Joe, great to have you back. Woo! Good to be back. And we will wrap up. 
So like and subscribe on all of the places. <laughs> Audible, <laughs> iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, everywhere. And send any questions to info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. Tell a couple of friends and new therapists to listen. And that's it for tonight, everybody. Good night. Bye. 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 Bye.